Buy more, save more with a patio door at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Buy three windows, save $500. Buy six, save $1,000. Buy a dozen, save $2,000 by adding a patio door. But only through April 30th. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. If you want to know the definition of a sore loser, I, I have it here. All right, you had the election, what, a, a week ago Tuesday, and typically what happens is you have, sometimes there's close elections. We've had elections around here, one that was decided by a coin flip, one that was tied until they found like one unopened ballot, and, and that decided the winner. And in general, I think the people who have lost in those close races, and it must be tough, you want, you want this job, you run for office and you lose because you, know, you call tails and it turns up to be heads. In general, I think the people who have lost have handled it with, with class. And there's nothing wrong with asking for a recount if you're entitled to do it. But in general, I've been impressed with the way people have handled it, a little bit of class, and that, that's good. And then there's former Milwaukee County Supervisor Russell Goodwin. Now, Russell Goodwin represented the extreme northwest corner of Milwaukee County. So if you can imagine, well, like Silver Spring Drive north to the Ozaki County line, um, and then somewhere 76th Street um, west to the Waukesha County line. It, it varies a little bit, but, you know, it's got Dretzka Park in there, and it, it's got, the, again, so the main streets would be Silver Spring from 76 west, Good Hope Road a little bit west, but you, you get the idea. It's that extreme northwest corner. It's the district where all the police officers and fire uh, uh, department workers used to work before they got rid of the residency rule and they got a chance to move out. So th- these were these enclaves that you used to be occupied a lot by, by police officers and firefighters, not as much anymore. So anyhow, to, to get on the ballot to be a Milwaukee County supervisor, you need to turn in 200 valid signatures on your nominating papers, 200 valid signatures. Now, let me give you a little perspective on this. Each Milwaukee County supervisory district has approximately 53,000 people in it. So out of a universe of 53,000, to get on the ballot, you need 200 valid signatures. It's not like it's a particularly daunting task. However, Russell Goodwin, who was elected to the county board and wanted to run for re-election in 2022, he was unable to come up with 200 valid signatures. And he said, well, you know, I went out some days and I just I, there's some days I, I couldn't get anybody to sign, which tells you something. If you are the incumbent county supervisor representing 50 plus thousand people and you can't even get 200 people to sign your nominating papers. So anyhow, he doesn't submit enough pages, so enough signatures. So he, he's not on the ballot. Nobody else submitted signatures. So nobody's on the ballot. So and this says everything you need to know about Milwaukee County. And if you think that the county board has been dysfunctional for the last 20 years, this is just the latest example of it. So he doesn't, he can't come up with 200 valid signatures in a district of 50 plus thousand. So, but he says, okay, I'm going to run as a write-in candidate. 
All right. Well, a bunch of other people announced that they are going to run as write-in candidates as well, including former Milwaukee County Supervisor Deanna Alexander, who is one of the rarest things that you're going to find in Milwaukee County nowadays. She is a conservative. So she announces that she's going to run, and there's a handful of other people that run as well. Well, when all is said and done— Deanna Alexander wins, and she actually wins by a mile. She gets 640 write-in votes. The incumbent, Russell Goodwin, who couldn't get 200 signatures to get his name on the ballot, and if he had come up with those 200 signatures, he would have probably run unopposed and probably been reelected, but he couldn't do that. He gets 446 votes. So he loses, he loses big time. I mean, she, you know, you, know, you do the math on that, but, but she gets, you know, roughly 60% of, of the vote. It's not a close race. So Deanna Alexander gets gets elected in the write-in things. So what does Russell Goodwin do? Does he congratulate her on her victory? Does he, I don't know, maybe privately complain a little bit about the fact that he wasn't able to get 200 signatures to get on the ballot? Well, no and no. What he does is he goes public. And I I saw this on, on Fox 6. Now, maybe it was elsewhere as well. But he's upset So now that we know that Deanna Alexander wins, he comes out, and what he calls on is that people should go to her home or her place of work and protest. Yeah, he says this is it. People should go out and protest that she was elected. Um, and people would say, okay, well, why, why would he do this? And he points to some tweet that she sent out in 2014, and he's saying, I, I'm demanding that, that she not take the, ro- the oath of office. I think that she's racist, and so she shouldn't be in. Well, okay, he had, of course, an entire campaign to make that point if she was somehow disqualified. He either failed to make that point or people didn't care enough or people thought that he was a kook and a loser because he couldn't get 200 signatures to get on the ballot in the first place. So his reaction is to go on television and demand that people go out and protest at her home where her children are or her place of work. Uh, Now, to their credit, Fox 6 does an interview with this guy, and they're saying, well, um, do you you really think this is appropriate, telling people to to go out to to their homes and disrupt the neighborhood and the family? He says, well, if you're a politician, you're a public person, I don't have any problems with doing that at all. I guess you look at this, and I guess the reaction is, first of all, it's good that he wasn't able to come up with 200 signatures for re-election because clearly this guy isn't all there. At least that's my impression of this. Secondly, if you want the definition of sore loser in the dictionary, look this up, and you're going to see a picture of Russell Goodwin, who, despite the fact that he was the incumbent, still managed to lose by a couple hundred votes in a write-in sort of thing. And now his reaction, instead of congratulating the victor, his reaction is to say, well, eight years ago, I think she said something that was inappropriate. I'm not even going to get into that. But I I think that what we need to do is protest. The ultimate irony of the sore loser story is that he called on people to go out to her house and place of business to protest. And you know what? As far as I can tell, absolutely nobody showed up, including him. That tells you all you need to know about Russell Goodwin, sore loser of the day. When we come back, 
want to talk about something the governor of Texas is doing and get your reaction to it. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. WTMJ and Jane Matinair are teaming up with the Brewers Community Foundation to collect pet supplies from the Wisconsin Humane Society. Join Jane today. As a matter of fact, we're going to be talking to her in about a half hour, 45 minutes or so. Today, she is out at Hal Fairfield. Um, people have been collecting stuff since 7 in the morning. They'll be there till 5 at night. They're collecting dog toys, canned and dry food for cats and dogs, cat litter, <clears throat> training leashes, and doggy treats. For more information, well, it's going on right now. So if you're in the area, stop off, give them some stuff. You can also get more information at WTMJ.com. WTMJ Care is sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. Well, I'd like to claim credit for predicting this was going to happen, but I really can't because you knew just as sure as night follows day that this was going to occur. We've been talking a lot about the the mask mandates on airplanes, which have effectively have been in effect for for going on a couple years. Now, for all intents and purposes, the, the COVID, the pandemic has has subsided. Now, there's no question that COVID is still with us, but the reality is COVID is going to be with us, I think, for the rest of our lives. And there's going to be surges where more people get sick, and there's going to be times when, when more people are, are fine. But now that we have vaccinations, and now that we are aware of this, and now that people have immunity, what you're seeing is that the number of hospitalizations are down dramatically, the number of deaths are down dramatically. We're not in the same spot of the pandemic as we were, you know, two years ago, say. But as a result of that, many of the pandemic era restrictions, and we can argue, and historians will debate whether there were overreactions or not, but most of these restrictions have, have gone away. Tomorrow, We're going to be at American Family Field. There's going to be 40-some thousand people at American Family Field. People will be sitting next to each other, and there is no requirement that you wear masks. You know, over the weekend, what is it, Sunday, the Milwaukee Bucks will have their their first-round playoff game. There will be 18, 20, 22,000, however many Pfizer Forum fits. People will be sitting in the stands, and the vast majority of people will not be wearing masks anymore, despite the fact that they will be indoors. It's just we've moved past the mask mandate, which isn't to say that people who want to wear masks can't wear masks. I was driving home yesterday, and I saw a woman by herself in a car wearing a mask. Okay, that, that's fine. She, she gets, gets to do that. That's the decision she makes. But as far as the overall mask mandates, they've pretty much gone by the wayside, except when it comes to Joe Biden and public transportation. The mask mandate requiring if you ride a bus, a train, or an airplane, or if you are in the airport— that requirement has been in place for a couple years, despite the fact that, you know, in airplanes, for example, you've got recirculated air. There's no compelling evidence that suggests that you're any more likely to get COVID on an air flight than you are, I don't know, sitting in a movie theater next to a couple people. But this has been the, really the last bastion of federal government control. And Biden and the Biden administration despite the fact that there's really no compelling scientific evidence to back this, and we've already flattened the curve, they have continued to keep this mandate in place. It was supposed to expire in March. They refused to allow it to expire in March. It was supposed to expire then next Monday, the day after Easter, right? Well, they've just announced today, nope, nope, we're not going to let it end after Easter. We are going to extend it at least an extra 15 days. 
at least an extra 15 days. So now the new date is, I believe, May 3rd. The mandate will stay in effect through May 3rd. Now, interestingly, the U.S. Senate voted overwhelmingly, this was one with not just Republicans, but Democrats as well, to end the mask mandate. But Nancy Pelosi has been sitting on this in the House of Representatives, so it's not happening, I think in part because she doesn't want to embarrass Joe Biden. But the mandate is going to continue to stay in effect, despite the fact that there's really no science justifying it, despite the fact that the pandemic numbers, and again, we're not not at this flatten the curve thing anymore, and despite the fact that there's never been any sort of empirical evidence that people traveling on planes were more likely to spread COVID than, say, people sitting in, in movie theaters or people sitting in American Family Field or at Pfizer Forum. But the Biden administration has announced it will stay in effect through May 3rd. And if you ask what's special about May 3rd, I can't tell you. I mean, they say, well, we're, 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 we're looking at, at numbers to see whether or not there might be increases, to which my point would be, there, there's all, what is the point of this? There's always going to be increases. COVID is not going to go away. Fauci, Anthony Fauci is on TV last weekend saying people have to find their own comfort levels and people have to figure out how to live with this. That That's just the absolute reality of this. COVID is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. And so that's why people need to take precautions. People need to make decisions for themselves. Do you want to get vaccinated? Do you want to get booster? Do you want to get another booster shot if you're over the age 50? All these different things. But the idea that Big Brother is now going to tell you, no, you can't get on a bus, you can't get on a train, you can't get into go into an airport without you know wearing a mask. And of course, all this does is it it promotes it creates problems for the airlines because you get into the situations where the people who don't want to wear the masks bring the giant bag of potato chips and say, "Well, I'm allowed to do this while I'm actively eating." So they nibble on potato chips during the entire flight. It creates issues with other passengers. It creates issues with flight attendants. For what purpose? At some point in time, maybe we need to follow the science or at least say to the Biden administration, if you are going to continue this, show us the science that justifies this, in fact, continuation. You ask me, Jeff, do you think this is going to end on May 3rd? And my response is, I don't know, but why, why would we think that? Because it seems that the Biden administration careens from one crisis to another and it's their way of saying control. Okay, well, we see in some areas you might have a little bit of a spike in COVID numbers, and that's, that's, that's true. In some areas, there's a spike in COVID numbers, and that's always going to be the case. So it raises the question, is this going to be the permanent situation that without a law, without an agreement from Congress, is the Biden administration going to use its executive power to say forever, that you know now if you want to fly on an airplane you have to wear masks when will the mask mandate end well I, I pretty much guarantee it's going to end at least in January of 2025 when Joe Biden ends up leaving office will it end before that don't know and by the way if you want to wear a mask on an airplane I, I believe you have every right to wear a mask on on an airplane that that's okay with me it's just if the government is going to require this I think the government should have to show some pretty compelling empirical evidence and as near as I can tell none of that exists but if you're flying in the next couple weeks and you thought the mask mandates were going to go away sorry Biden administration continues to keep them in place for at least another couple weeks and my guess is probably well beyond that as well, because you're always going to find COVID hot pockets. That's just the reality of where we are. Back with more in just a minute. 
Lots of people reacting to the announcement. And this is no surprise. I mean, if Joe Biden has his way, you will be wearing masks forever. Um, the only people who don't have to wear masks in his mind are the people who, I don't know, go into the, the halls of Congress for the State of the Union speech because Biden knows the American people have moved beyond this, but he doesn't want to appear out of touch. So we, we waive the mask rules for Congress the day of the State of the Union. Um, in any event, the mask mandate on planes has been extended for at least another two weeks. Um, one of our texters, Joshua, says that's ridiculous. What is 15 days going to do? Which is an absolutely great question. It's not going to to change anything, COVID's going to be with us, and, and you're going to find spikes in numbers, and it's going to go up, and it's going to go down. If you want to justify, again, telling people that they've got to wear masks, you're always going to find some spike because we're not going to eliminate it. I thought I thought it was supposed to be endemic. I thought Anthony Fauci saying, we've got to figure out you know, how, how to live with this, and people need to assess their own risks. Jeff, I've canceled two flights to Key West now because of the mask mandate. I know lots of other people who have done the same. I won't fly until it's lifted. Well, my concern is you, you might not be able to fly anywhere till January of 2025 because I see nothing that tells me that the Biden administration is continuing lifting this. And as long as Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House, she's not going to let Congress vote on lifting the mask mandate because she knows how the people will vote and she doesn't want to embarrass Joe Biden. So there. What were the over-under? You just knew that this psycho New York subway shooter, you knew he was going to have ties to Wisconsin. It seems like almost every time we get one of these stories, there's ties to Wisconsin. Least surprising thing that I've seen all week, I think. <laughs> I, I When I saw it pop yesterday and saw the press conference, I... I wasn't surprised. Let's it, just say that. Well, and, and you, you go back to, to the stories that, that are now coming out, and we're going to talk about more of this in the 1 o'clock hour, but but it, it's like all the neighbors are saying, yeah, this was a really strange guy, and he'd scream at the neighbors. It, it, he wouldn't talk to anybody, but when he did talk, he'd be yelling at people and things like that. And you, you look at – and again, it's, it's very it's, – it's not fair to judge a book by its cover, but sometimes you look at these people and you go, huh – this guy looks like the kind of guy that would rent a U-Haul van, drive halfway across the country, and then try to shoot up a New York subway. It just, it's one of those things. You look at him and go, huh, I'm glad I wasn't living next door to him when he lived in Milwaukee. Yeah, it's one of those when it's like hindsight's twenty twenty, you know, where it's like, okay, looking back and taking all these things into account, all right, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that, that this happened. And I think that's where a burden falls on law enforcement where it's like how did you not realize it and i'm not saying that's what we should be saying yeah. right now but just oh, but no but it's the problem is what what do you do yeah clearly this was a strange man you mean you, you listen to the interviews the, the the screaming the anger um the the bizarre youtube types of things that he was putting out there clearly a guy who I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, but clearly a guy who's got significant mental illness problems, it seems to me, and, and huge anger issues. And yeah, you, you look at all this and you go, huh, this is, this is the textbook example of somebody's going to shoot up the subway. But the problem is, what, living in a free society, what, what do you do? How do you, how do you stop him from doing that? He hadn't committed any crimes. You know, he's just strange. 
Yeah, well, it's like the what is a Minority Report with Tom Cruise when they could do like the precog, you're going to commit a crime right. type of thing. You know, it, it, it's unfortunate that so much of this has to be reactive. But then, if you know, like you were saying, you then all of a sudden now you're going down a real slippery slope there. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the answers. But other than, you know, when I heard this story and I was sitting there thinking in the back of my mind, what's the over under that this guy has some ties to Milwaukee? And and it turns out he does. We'll talk more about this in the one o'clock hour when we come back. Hey, get on the bus. What's the fuss? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. There's kind of a funny video. and This can happen to anyone, but it happened to the president of the United States. Now, here is the thing. If this this were Donald Trump, this video would be leading every newscast. It would be front page stories above the fold. It would kick out the hor- It would kick the horrors of Ukraine off the off the front pages. But because it's Joe Biden, you, you may not have heard about it. Yesterday, Biden is in Iowa and he's he's making this pitch. We talked about it. He's going to encourage people to use more E15 gas, the the junk gas with the higher um, amount of, of ethanol in it, and. And that's his way of of kind of solving the gasoline price problem. Well, it it doesn't solve anything because the E15 gas, in addition to being bad for a lot of people's cars, what it also does is it doesn't have as much power. So, yeah, it's a little bit cheaper, but you don't get anywhere near the miles per gallon on it. So at best, it comes out as a wash. But anyhow, so he's there and he's in Iowa, and this is pandering to the the, uh, corn farmers and things like that. And then he's also trying to blame Vladimir Putin for inflation, which is something that I don't think many people are buying. And in the middle of his speech, a bird poops on his lapel. <laughs> and and it, it, it look, this can happen to anyone. Not that long ago, I was down in Florida. I was walking my dog. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm watching her get ready to do her business. And all of a sudden, I feel something. And right, right on my shoulder there, bird got me, you know, which is kind of, it's a sort of a funny thing. Well, if you haven't seen the video of this, it's pretty funny because apparently even our feathered friends aren't buying what the president is selling or shoveling. Um, the story is the bird poops on Biden as he claims the U.S. is in the dumps because of Putin. Um, so if you want to, if you want to see this, it's, again, it can happen to anyone. I, I understand. My only point is it would be getting, I believe, a lot more coverage if it was the burb that pooped on Donald Trump as opposed to, to Joe Biden. Biden appears not to notice it. But I, but in any event, if you want to see the, a clip of this, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 Getting a little bit of play, but not what it would have done otherwise. But, of course, what do you expect in the media? Okay, here, here is the story. The border is out of control. No question about it. And Joe Biden, at the same time the Biden administration is telling people that they need to wear masks on airplanes like forever, they've also rolled back a Trump initiative called Title 42, which is where because of the COVID crisis, uh, people at the border were able to turn away people who were trying to come in illegally because of concerns about COVID. Joe Biden is doing away with that. So apparently people coming into the country with COVID is not an issue, and yet you still have to wear masks on airplanes. The, the irony of that is not lost. But so you've got this huge problem that is down at the border. The way the governor of Texas has started responding to this and Some people are calling it a stunt. Some people are calling it a gimmick. But it's interesting. He has started going to people who have come into this country illegally. And they have said, would you like to go to Washington, D.C.? 
Now, the way they do it in Texas, they say it's not like they're just rounding up people, putting them in handcuffs, and putting them on buses. But he's saying, would you like to go to, to D.C.? Would you like to, to relocate? Do you want to stay here? Would you like to go to D.C.? And for people who say, yes, we, we'd love to go. To, yeah, we let's get us away from the border. Let's go to Washington. So what they have started doing is they have they've rented all these buses, arranged for these buses, and they've now started busing people from the border in Texas and dropping them off essentially on the steps of the Capitol. Now, how many people they're going to do this with, I, I do not no, but this this is it. The governor's saying, look, I, the, the president has no clue as to what the problems are on the border and what this is causing problems it's causing to people who live along the border. So here's the idea. All right, let, let's, let's take these folks who've come into the country illegally and let's ship them up to Washington, D.C., 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the ACLU is bent out of shape about this, but the, the way they say they're doing it in Texas is they say they're not they're not being coercive. They're they're contacting people. They're saying, look, would, would you like to be relocated? And for the people who say, yeah, we'd love to be relocated, they're doing it. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is this a problem? Do you have a problem with what the governor of Texas is doing? He's saying, look, we are being inundated with people illegally crossing the border that are providing – they're causing huge problems to our our communities along the border. We just do not have the resources to continue to absorb this. So if the federal government's policy is going to be bring it on, fine – we want to share the wealth. So there's going to be busloads of people coming to D.C., 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. you have any problem with the governor of Texas is doing? We discuss in just a moment. Here's my little story about this before we go to the phones. And, and here, if you sit here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin— you know, the the problem with illegal immigration is sort of, it's an intellectual one. I mean, we are not overrun with people illegally coming into the country. And, and typically around here, maybe if there's somebody that's here illegally, it's, it's somebody who has family members here or something like that. Um, several years ago, when we were owned by Journal Communications, and we had radio stations all across the country. I remember we had a, we had a radio station in Tucson, Arizona, and the morning talk show host uh, had a heart attack or something like that, and so they asked me to like do two shows. So I, they, they hooked me up on the satellite, and I do a talk show that aired in Tucson, Arizona in, in, in the morning. And it was such an interesting talk show because when we talked about like the, the problems with illegal immigration. Well, you talk to people that live on the border, and it's a completely and totally different experience. And I'd have one caller after another who would talk about how, you know, that they'd find like six people in their backyard peeing against the side of their building. I mean, they, they would talk about like the real world problems that you would have with social services being overwhelmed. And, and we don't deal with that up here. So it's, it's, it's an intellectual thing. You live down on the border, and it's a much different experience. So I I think the governor of Texas, who is completely and totally frustrated with this administration's policy, and it's going to get worse, he started saying, and and again, the way this works is they they go to people who are here illegally who now cannot be be returned until they've had their hearings because they're requesting asylum. So, you know, instead of keeping them in Texas for 
I don't know, a year, two years, three years, they're saying, hey, you want to go to Washington, D.C.? We'll put you on a bus. I not only have no problem with this, I'd expand it. Want to go to Hollywood? We'll put you on a bus. Want to go to Malibu? We'll put you on a bus. You've heard about this AOC? Want to go to her district in New York City? We'll put you on a bus. 855-616-1620. Mark in Central Florida. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. It's kind of like the old... Kind of to me, it's like the old analogy. It's where the rubber meets the road. We can relax the policies and everything, and we can have increased problems coming across the southern border. But the people that are relaxing the policies or ignoring them or have some agenda aren't suffering the direct consequences in other states of the Union. We're the United States of America. Other states of the Union are being overwhelmed with this problem. And when these people do come, sorry, when these people do come across the border, they're bringing a myriad of problems with them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw the lieutenant governor of Texas. Um, the governor has been fired up about this. He's completing the border in Texas. But the lieutenant governor of Texas um, was on Fox Network last night, and he said, we have the resources in Texas because Texas has money. He said, we are not going to be overwhelmed. We're finishing the border. We will not have the next 9-11-2001 in Texas by a bunch of people we've never seen before. Yeah, well, thanks for calling, Mark. I mean, I guess, look, this, and look is, is part of this a stunt? Yes, it is, to call attention to these issues. But at the same time, I, I you know, it, it's actually the people that are sitting there making a lot of these rules in, in Washington, D.C., do not understand what the real-world implications of this. And again, it, now, as long as it's not coercive, I'm not saying you put people in handcuffs and, and stick them on a bus and send them halfway across the country, but at the same time, if you say, hey, you want to go to Hollywood? Eh, let's Okay, yeah, sure, I want to go to Hollywood. You want to go to Washington, D.C.? Absolutely. I have no problem with this at all. If nothing else, maybe it dramatizes the point. You know what? I'd say, hey, President Biden lives in in Delaware. You want want to go to Delaware? Delaware is really great in the summertime. We've got a couple buses that are going up there. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Mike. What do you think? I say good on him. I think that's an excellent idea. I think we need to, you know, say... Go to Lucy's district. You want to go to AOC's district? As you said, a lot of these people sit back and make these policies without knowing the real ramifications. Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, they have been dealing with this for decades, and probably Texas the worst because they're the ones who've had to fight it the most. Um, I don't blame the governor one bit, and yes, expand it. Take them to Joe, where Joe Biden's district is in Delaware or where his yeah. district was. I think it's an excellent idea. Well, it calls it. I mean, thanks. I mean, it, it's idea. It's the idea of sharing this particular problem. And, and again, there, there's all this. Uh, it's going to get court challenges. They're going to say, "Well, this is the, the argument is because, of course, you got to understand that these politicians they, they don't they don't want this to happen." Well, it, it's it's Texas's problem. How how dare you expect the rest of us to have to deal with this? Um, so the argument's going to be. Well, you know, the states can't deal with immigration. You know, states can't set immigration policies. But, see, I don't see that this runs afoul of the law as long as it's not coercive. Okay, you're, you're here in this country that there's nothing in the law that says that we have to keep you here. You, you want to go somewhere else here? We're, we're going to make it easy for you to do it. I actually think, at least as far as calling attention to the issue, and 
I think it's, it's important and I think it's significant because it's very, very clear to me that there is this disconnect that's out there, in part because, like I say, illegal immigration is not as significant an issue, say, here in the Midwest as it would be down on the border. So it's real easy for politicians around here to say, well, you know, what, what, what difference does it make? No, we don't want to deal with this. But all of a sudden, if all of a sudden you had a huge influx of thousands and thousands and thousands of people who suddenly entered Wisconsin illegally and were told that, okay, we're going to have to keep people in Wisconsin and we're going to have to come up with the wherewithal and the resources to you know, do all the things that we have to do, well, maybe, just maybe, people might have a different approach to that when it's something other than academic. Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you hey, think? It all comes down to the old adage, uh, you know, not in my backyard. Put them in their backyard, and they can see the real problem. Yeah, it, well, well, exactly, and 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 it's still look. They're, they're not going to have enough buses, and some people aren't going to want to go. So it's still going to be a huge problem. But yeah, all of a sudden, you know, we've got three or four hundred people who have come into this country illegally, who've now been dropped off on the steps of the Capitol. All right, what lawmakers? What are you going to do? How how do you deal with them? And then figure out how people in Texas have to deal with this problem magnified a hundredfold. Yeah, uh, absolutely. No, thanks for call. I appreciate it. It's, I just, I, it, it is a creative, and again, I, I don't think this is a solution to the problem. You're not, you're not going to have enough buses to, to really, I think, make a dent in this. But yeah, and, and if you call it a stunt, if you call it a gimmick, okay, I'll, I'll accept that. But all of a sudden, I'm trying to imagine what some of these people in Washington D.C. are thinking if all of a sudden, you know, if six buses roll up and you have all these people who are illegally in the country and are suddenly dropped off on the steps of the Capitol and told, okay, you know. Go, go ahead. You know, you you now it's somebody else's problem. Well, OK, too many politicians in Washington have been treating this whole immigration issue as somebody else's problem. Now, I was suggesting places beyond Washington, D.C., where you might want to take these people who are in the country illegally and are going to have the opportunity to wait for a year or two or three years while their their claims for asylum work their way through the system before they're ordered deported. You know, I, I guess one of the other places that you could theoretically say is let's send them all to, to Nancy Pelosi's district as well, a couple buses out there. Problem with that is nobody in their right mind wants to go to San Francisco. So I'm not sure you get too many takers on that. When we come back, we're going to talk to Jane Matinair, and then we're going to ask a broader question as a result of what happened caused by the Wisconsin guy in New York yesterday. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So I, I open up my, my Twitter account to check things, and what do I see? I see my wonderful colleague, Jane Matinair, standing at what appears to be Halfair Park, posing with well, she's next to the chorizo and the Italian sausage. Jane Matinair, we've been talking about what you're going to be doing for a couple of weeks now. The day has come. What's going on? It's been so great, Jeff. It's been slow but steady. And honestly, we have filled up, I want to say, five to six great big boxes already of donations of cat food and dog food and dog toys and leashes and I am just constantly overwhelmed by people's generosity. It, it's it's incredible. Uh, one young woman came with a, a, a car full of stuff, and then she gave us a $100 bill. And it just made me all misty-eyed because I know things are hard for people, 
and and things are expensive right now but but our community always comes together and and i just can't express my gratitude enough okay so let's take a step back what what are you doing you're at how fair field at american family field and what 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 is the purpose of what's going on right now we are doing a pet supplies drive for the Wisconsin Humane Society. So they, I believe, it's something like 75,000 pounds of food they go through in a year, Jeff, just for the shelter dogs. And then they also have a uh, pet supply pantry at the Humane Society for people who might be having a hard time uh, covering their some of their pets' needs. And so that's where this is all going to go. It goes to all of their locations all over Wisconsin. They have a number of locations. And uh, we're here until 5 o'clock today but if you're going tomorrow Friday or Saturday if you're coming out to any of the games they will have collection bins so if you want to bring some stuffies or some squeakies or a couple cans of cat food everything adds up it's all of us doing a little bit and, and that's that's what that's what makes it so special well, well Jane I want to encourage people to do not only as I as I say but also as I do you know I, I, I talk a lot about my dog Sasha and over the years she has been spoiled a little bit we would buy her all these different dogs toys and as a general rule she had no interest in them she, she like she's got these like little lammies that she loves and these these <laughs> balls that she loves but otherwise everything else she just doesn't play with so we had a, a huge um, vinyl bin full of all these gently used or actually probably never used toys that we had purchased but the dog wasn't interested in and so what we ended up doing is actually it's royal we it was my wife got a bag of stuff and we put them together and we were able to give you a big bag of toys with like like new or very extremely gently used toys and a couple leashes and things like that and it was actually we were able to clear out some stuff and we were able to, to support a good cause so I hope people would consider doing that if you've got all this stuff sitting around that your pets never use. Absolutely, Jeff. And like you said, gently used is wonderful. We do ask that you don't bring the completely de-squeaked and de-stuffed, right. which is what my Barkley used to do. Um, but if they're just gently used, absolutely. I did the same thing. I had a whole bunch of Barkley's toys uh, in the basement that I went through this morning before I came out. And uh, it's just been it's just been wonderful. People are coming by with their dogs in the cars, so we get to have some pets. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that's always great. Oh, and referring to that picture on my Twitter feed, you know what's funny when you're around the sausages, Jeff? Okay. <laughs> I keep looking at their eyes like that's where their eyes actually are. <laughs> you know, I'm, t I'm talking to them and I'm looking at their eyes, which are four feet above me. And it's like, Jane, look at the little screen because that's where they can actually see you. I, I wasn't <laughs> sure how to answer the question when you say to me, you know, what's funny when you're around the sausages. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't sure where we were going with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's that's okay. I, I understand, Jane. A number of people are texting in, um, asking how long it goes today and how long you're going to be out there. I will be here until four o'clock. The event itself lasts until five o'clock, so you still have a couple of hours. If you know the weather goes for right now, we've been really lucky. Um, but if it does start raining, no worries. You don't even have to get out of the car. We have a whole bunch of volunteers here that will uh, that will help unload for you. And then as a thank you, you get a Hank the Dog pin and. And your choice of three bobbleheads, Hank Aaron, Christian Yelich, and Ryan Braun. It's always interesting to see who people choose. 
Very cool. Very cool. Jane Matinier, I know this is a cause near and dear to your heart, and I know we, we share our, our fondness for animals in general, and, and, and at least in my case, it, it's dogs in particular. So this is a wonderful cause, and we want to encourage people just to, to stop on by. And as you mentioned earlier, you, you take cash. Cash is, cash is good. Checks are good as well. So if you're listening to us and you don't have the pet toys, but you still want to contribute to a very worthwhile cause, you would be delighted to take coin of the realm, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Jane Metnair, thanks for joining us, and, and best of luck with what a, a wonderful event for WTMJ Cares. Thanks so much, Jeff. Okay, that's Jane Metnair. She's going to be out. Again, it, it's American Family Field, but it's Halfair Park, which is the Little League Stadium that's just to the, uh, I guess, to the north there. And they've got a, a whole army of people that will take the toys. And, and seriously, that that's what we did. We had all these toys that were sitting around, and were just they were unused. And in many cases, they were new or Maybe like Sasha had looked at them and said, oh, that's great, and then gone back to playing with her lammies and stuff. It's what it's what she ends up liking doing. But we had all these different dog toys that were out there, and we had a couple like leashes and things like that that just really had never been used. So this was a wonderful way to kind of move move those out of the basement where they were never going to be used, but also to allow them to go to a good cause. So the, the collection event today continues till 5. Jane is going to be there till 4. She's a real trooper. And then over the next couple of days, they'll also have bins as well. It's WTMJ Cares, um, sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. When we come back, let's talk about what happened in New York. And let's let's also talk about the bigger picture, indicating that This could really happen anywhere. Stick around. Opening day in Milwaukee is almost here. It is tomorrow, by the way, and WTMJ is your flagship station for Brewers baseball. Tune in all day tomorrow as we broadcast live from American Family Field. Catch Steve Scafidi starting at 9. Yours truly, Jeff Wagner, is going to be there at noon, and Wisconsin's Afternoon News will be live. All of us are at the ballpark, leading into Bob Euchers, calling the Brewers and the Cardinals game. It's opening day live, sponsored by Outdoor Living Unlimited and Jockey. And I say this often, if you... If, if you've heard our opening day broadcast before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, uh, please tune in. It's one of the days that we look forward to all year, and it's it'll feature interviews. I, I haven't seen my schedule yet, but typically we have players. Um, I know we're scheduled to once again talk to Bob Euchre and Mark Antanasio, and at least during my program, I try to approach it from the perspective of as a fan. If you were the ones that got to sat and sit down and, and chat with with Bob and with Mark for fifteen or twenty minutes, what questions would would you ask? And that's kind of the approach that I take to that. So opening day tomorrow, big deal. Going to be having a lot of fun. All right. the um, The reports are that Frank James, the guy from as it turns out, at least Milwaukee. We don't know completely, we don't know where he's from originally, but we do know that he lived most recently in Milwaukee, and all of us here in Milwaukee are popping our buttons over that. We know that the he is the one that is believed to be involved in the subway shooting. What happened yesterday, if you haven't been following this, is James apparently um, dressed to resemble like a transit employee had some some smoke bombs that he purchased from 
a fireworks dealer down here. It looks like in Caledonia, you know, one of those places by the side of of the freeway. Um, illegal purchase. The fireworks dealer did, did nothing wrong, but he purchased a bunch of smoke bombs in 2021, and apparently had been saving them. So the theory is he he had several handguns, and what he did was he waited till uh, a subway train was arriving in a very working class area of, of New York, he threw the at least one smoke bomb out, so it's billowing yellow smoke, and then he started shooting indiscriminately through the, the smoke. The, the miracle, and, and I, I can't say this enough, the miracle is that nobody was killed. Because, as I frequently say, when, when, when we talk about homicide numbers, homicides are, are not necessarily the best indicator of violence. You might say, Jeff, well, that sounds stupid. Why would you say that? Well, no, it, it's because anytime there is a shooting, it can, it can lead to a death. And, and the difference is, uh, in many cases, it's just, it's just dumb luck that, okay, the, the bullet, you know, lodges in the rib cage as opposed to, you know, being an inch further over and nicking a ventricle or something like that, and, and somebody dies. It's, it's really, it, it is... The fact that once somebody is shot, it can easily lead to a homicide, and oftentimes when it doesn't, again, it's it's dumb luck, or it's by the grace of God, or in some cases, it's a tribute to emergency medicine. But but anytime you have a shooting, it can result in a death. And you look at what happened here, where you just indiscriminately open fire in a subway station, shooting blindly through smoke. It it is nothing. It's nothing short of a miracle that none of those what, 19 people who I think were, were shot, that, that none of them ended up dead. So in any event, the authorities were able to kind of piece this together, and they've settled on the perpetrator being this Frank James, who, story in the New York Times, just let me give you a little background on it, um, lived, lived in Milwaukee, don't know where exactly. The neighbors uh, didn't think much of it. The, the New York Times has a story uh, about him. I, I'll read you a a portion of it, a neighbor of his said that um, he was gruff and standoffish, once confronted her over a key left in her apartment door. The neighbor said that she had not seen him since March, and that's going to be important in a little bit, lived in an adjacent unit um, that he had moved in to this two-story triplex within the past year, said she heard him yelling on the phone several times, including a conversation in which she complained about ignorant people. After she mistakenly left her key in her lock, they had an altercation in which she recalled him yelling, don't ever do that again. He walked down the street almost every morning, He said, but ne- she said, but never said hello. Like if I say hello, good morning, he just grunts at me like he's some grumpy old man. He was a really weird neighbor. A friend who mistakenly went inside his apartment at one point described it as dirty and messy, never saw anybody else um, with him. So the reports are apparently what happened is in a video dated March 20th and posted to social media, he is seen driving saying he is on his way to Philadelphia and leaving Wisconsin. As I leave the state of Wisconsin, about to be back in the state of Illinois, all I can say is good riddance and I will never be back again alive. Do, 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 do. He described this as the first leg of his trip, ranted about a variety of subjects, including Ukraine, nuclear war, race, and traffic in Chicago. Well, I'm with him on the traffic in Chicago. Um, (laughs) 
having driven through that about two weeks ago. Uh, let's see. They, and so you, you get the idea that this guy had issues. And there's all sorts of YouTube post things that he had where um, it, it's very, very clear that um, there were significant mental issues going on. Apparently, he rented this U-Haul vehicle in Philadelphia and then used that as his kind of getaway car or the car to drive him to the scene of the crime. Now he is, in fact, in, in custody. And, of course, this has, in New York, this is getting a, a lot of attention. But unfortunately, mass shootings are, are not are, are not that unique. Remember, just a couple couple days ago, we were talking about the thing that happened in Sacramento. In Sacramento, on a Saturday night, a Sunday morning, a couple weeks ago, in the area that I would liken to kind of the Water Street area around Milwaukee, or like State Street in Madison, just a couple blocks from the from the the Capitol. What you had is you had, you had you had gang warfare. You had a couple rival gangs that just decided at bar time they were going to start opening up on on the streets in an effort to, I guess, shoot at each other. But also, you've got all these innocent bystanders around, six people dead, 10 people injured. But it's another one of these examples of these mass shootings that come out of nowhere. And what's really, and appropriately so, freaking a lot of people out in New York City is that in New York City, people depend on mass transit. You know, people don't I'm going to, I, I will say people don't own cars, and somebody will text me and say, well, I know somebody who owns a car. People in New York City, as a general rule, do not own cars. It's very difficult to, and expensive to own a car. The traffic is bad. So typically in New York City proper, what you have is a lot of people who uh, just they, they depend on public transportation, and they take cabs, and they take Ubers and things like that. So th- this, is, this hits at the heart of something because people use this on a daily basis. And now you've got this question of your safety being, you know, upset in a situation like this. But it can happen anywhere. It's, it's not New York. If it's Sacramento. We talk on a regular basis. In the city of Milwaukee, there have been 55 homicides and counting since the start of this year. And, and that doesn't begin to include the number of just random shootings that, that are out there where you're driving on the freeway and all of a sudden some idiot starts shooting at somebody else and you happen to be in the way. It's really one of these things, and, and this is where I want to go with this topic. I find myself more and more thinking about safety when it comes to choices that I'm, I'm making. Five years ago, I would not have thought twice about driving my car and parking it on the street outside a particular restaurant. Five years ago, I would not have thought twice about you know going into some public settings, and now there, I I think this all the time. You know, if somebody says, "Do you want to?" I don't know. Do you want to go to this particular restaurant, say in the city of Milwaukee? One of the things I'm not going to necessarily say no, but one of the things that's in the back of my mind is, okay, where am I going to park the car? You know, what? How long of a walk is it going to be for my wife and I from the car to when we get to the restaurant? What time are we going to be going out there? I'm running these things through my mind on a regular basis because of what's going on in the world. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you becoming more safety conscious as a result of the stories about crime 
the fact that if you're like me, you probably know many people who have been victims of crime. And admittedly, it can happen anywhere, but that is a factor. It's much more likely to happen in urban areas than it is, say, in some of the suburbs. It can happen anywhere. I, I get that. But are you, when you're making life decisions, where you're going to go, where are you going to shop, where are you going to eat, are you thinking about crime? Is that one of the factors? For me, the honest-to-goodness truth is it is. 855-616-1620, we discuss. And whenever I talk about topics like this, I always get some feedback from some people who say, Jeff, you shouldn't talk about this. You're, you're, you're right, Jeff, that there's violence and there's crime, and yes, there's all these carjackings and there's car thefts and there's shootings, but you shouldn't talk about it because that that just calls attention to to the issue. Well, here's the answer. One of the reasons I talk about it is to call attention to the issue and to try to make, I don't know, the, the people that might have some impact on this recognize that the real people are, are thinking about the, these things. And real people are looking at the number of cars that are stolen on a regular basis. And they're looking at the, the potential for urban violence. And it's not just in Milwaukee. It, it's it's all over. But they're saying enough is enough. And they're voting with their car keys. And they're voting with their wallets. And they're voting with their feet and saying, okay, we're, we have all sorts of choices. And we're going to avoid some of these areas. And I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm not calling on anybody to avoid any particular area. But I am saying that particularly over the last five to 10 years, I have started to become much more conscious of of crime and where are you going to go, where are you going to park your car, how are you going to get there, all those different factors. And it has shaped some of the places I go to nowadays, and it's going to continue to do that. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Todd. Todd, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, I agree with you completely, and I think it for us, my family, we're in our uh, early 40s, three small children, six, four, and two. It, it's just not worth it whatsoever. And it really, uh, we were enlightened by this, I think, when COVID started. And, you know, not only did the big cities shun us, um, uh, we just weren't welcome there. Um, so we, we turned to our local community. They kept their doors open the entire time, and they open, you know, they welcome us with open arms. It's, mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, we, we appreciate being part of this small community out in southern Waukesha that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll also let you know that you know, my, my, my wife, um, I, I never thought she'd own a gun. She's taken the classes. She shoots regularly. Um, she's going to defend herself when she needs to. It, it, times have changed. We, we, we like to be in our community. There's absolutely no reason um, to solicit or, um, you know, go downtown any longer. We, we, yeah. we like it here. We're going to support our local business. So seriously, it never, you never, your wife would, I mean, like, like, I mean, I don't mean to be sexist about this at all, but you, you think of, you know, typically when, when people grow up around firearms, it tends to be male, more male oriented. You never thought your wife would want to own a gun and, and now she, she does, huh? Correct. I, I, I'm, I've owned firearms uh, my whole life. She's been around them, but never had any sort of interest to look at one, observe one, know anything yeah. about them. But she really is now, and, 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 and we're sticking to it. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, 855-616-1620. We're getting swamped with text here. Jeff, take a look at the front page 
of the Los Angeles Times today. Gangs have started following people home from expensive restaurants and expensive venues and robbing them as they try to pull into their garage. Yeah, something to look forward to. Um, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Mary in Sockville. Mary, good afternoon. Hi. Hi. I was an avid volunteer for St. Ben's and the House of Peace for 10-plus years. I brought things from Milwaukee County two to three times a week. Never had a problem until all this peaceful protest started. I ended up with a, a blowout tire on the highway facing north. I couldn't get anybody to come and help me for three hours. No one. The police wouldn't stay with me. No, um, no tire person um, uh, from um, the garages. None of them would come down. And then I thought, why am I coming all the way to Milwaukee to drive these? And it was really valuable things, and it was very necessary. Unfortunately, when I go down North Avenue, I'm a target because nobody stops at stop signs. And now I have to go through the back alley. That's the last place I want to go through a back alley anyplace. And well, and it's not just North Avenue anymore. I mean, it, you, you can say the same thing about Hampton. You can say the same thing about Capitol Drive, all, all these places. You you just, you, you know, you drive. I mean, it seems like almost every time we have some horrible thing with a re- with thanks to call with reckless driving, it's 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 on Capitol Drive, not that far from where we are. And I take no pleasure in having this conversation. But it, it is a I think it's it's a reality of of what's out there. Let's talk to, let's see, we've got Bert. Bert, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Hi. Hi. So, yes, I was just talking to, I forget what, what her name is, but... Um, Rachel is answering the calls today. I think we definitely today. need to call attention to it. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think we need to call attention to it, because how do we solve these problems? And if we don't call attention to it, it's like we're trying to pretend they're not there, but clearly they are. And we need to do something, and that way our lawmakers will know that we care about this stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I think we need to definitely do something with all this stuff. Well, well, right, and see, and there's this this idea, Bert, that people—oh, no, thanks for the call. Okay, there's this idea that that you can just kind of stick your head in the sand, and if we we don't talk about the car thefts, and we don't talk about the carjackings, and we don't talk about the homicides, and, you know, we—and again, it can happen anywhere. This is not a problem that is unique to Milwaukee. It is a problem that unfortunately you have happened in all these urban areas. But more and more people, I think, especially people who have choices, you know, and it's and that's one of the things. You know, in many respects, we're talking about people who, for example, live in, in the exurbs, suburbs, or, or whatever, and have choices to make. Well, you know, I got a couple texts from people who who live. In, in in the heart of, of some of the highest crime areas in in the around here, and they just don't have the ability to get out. I mean, that's it's not like they can just sell their house and I don't know move move out to Germantown or whatever. That that's not an option for them. So this becomes something that they deal with on an everyday sort of basis, and it, it's one of the reasons why the message needs to get through to to people that. To, to people that can make a difference, that that folks are tired of this, and, and enough is enough, and it's starting to affect people's choice. Forget starting to; it does affect people's choices of of where they end up going, and it might not be fair. And I understand if you're a merchant that that's trying to keep the doors open in a high crime area, and you're trying to support the neighborhood. The last thing you want to do is hear some guy on the radio talking about you know people being concerned about crime. But but here's the here's the idea: don't shoot the messenger. People are concerned about crime. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Afternoon. How you doing? Good. What do you think? 
Um, okay. Me living up in Mequon, we have a relatively good police uh, presence and law enforcement staff. But crime happens no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. So you're always going to get that aspect. And up here, they do a good job of prosecuting, you know, this criminal element that's around here. Right. So in the winter, I snowplow down on the northwest side in some of the very shadiest parts of the northwest side. And I never have a problem with anybody. I mind my own business. You know, mm-hmm. I don't get involved with anybody else's stick you know, whatever they're doing and stuff like that. Yeah, I rode past uh, drug houses and all the stuff like that. You see all the cops in the corners. They know where they are and stuff like that. And they're just not getting involved. So I don't have a problem going down into Milwaukee and snow plowing. Mm-hmm. You know, just in case I do get jacked, I always keep, you know, 20, 40 bucks in my front pocket. <laughs> I, I, Jason, thanks. I mean, I gotta, I gotta stop you for a minute here. I I mean, I, I, and, and and look, and I I appreciate that. First of all, if if you're plowing snow, you know, in, in high crime areas and things like that, I I appreciate the significance. But, but just think of, I think of what just, what you just said. Okay. I always carry 20 or 40 bucks. So in case I get jacked, you know, I'll have something to give them. So presumably, I, I won't get shot or anything. Just think of that. I mean, I, all right, can I see a, a show of hands? Show of hands. All right, and anybody who five years ago would sit there and say, okay, I've got to make sure I've got 20 or 40 bucks in my pocket because I'm driving to Milwaukee and I want to make sure in case I get jacked, I'm going to have some money to give somebody. Can, can, I, can I see a show of hands out there for people who <laughs> Who would think like that? But and by the way, and I, I'm not I'm not mocking Jason at all. I'm not criticizing Jason at all. I, I get it. He's like, well, I, I I'm not really worried about this, but at the same time, I, I always better I better have my my stash here. And gosh, I, if I've got a nice watch, I probably not better not be wearing the watch, and I sure better not have too much money in my wallet. And I I don't know. I you know the, that that ring I have, that expensive ring. I think I might might want to leave that back. I, and again, but this is this this is the thing. If you've got to the point in urban America nowadays where your, your conversation is, gee, I'm going into this particular area. I better have 20 or 40 bucks in my pocket in case I get jacked so I don't antagonize the carjacker, the robber, or whatever. I can give them something so they don't shoot me because they get mad. I, I, you mean you can't make this type of stuff up. And so I, I say this sincerely. It, this is not a unique problem to Milwaukee, and I, I keep wanting to emphasize that because I'm sure this is a conversation that is exactly the same as the one if you were listening to a radio talk show in New York City today. I, I'm sure that this is the conversation because people now they're going, "Hey, we got to get off the subway." You know, now you're, you're having these various questions and all. But this is the bottom line of this, and it's why it is such a challenge to the policymakers and the people who implement this. You know, the, the DA's office that who, who makes Make the prosecutive decisions, the judges, all these different things. You got to understand how crime affects people on an almost daily basis. And I, I probably have two hundred texts here from people, and the, the general conclusion is, yeah, we're, we're, we understand what you're saying, Jeff. We, we rethink things. 
And we evaluate stuff in a way that we didn't do five or 10 years ago. And it's not saying that we're not going to go to a Bucks game. It's not saying that we're not going to go to opening day at American Family Field. It's not saying that we're never going to go to the zoo or we're not going to go to the museum. But it's saying we're thinking about these things now in ways that we never had to before. I have dozens and dozens and dozens of texts. I, I don't. Not, I do not have time to, to read them all, but to just give you an idea of a, of a representative sampling, because I think again, it, it's it, it's important for people to realize what, and that is that the people who have have a position to, to like make some of the policy changes, it's important for them to realize what average people are thinking. Um, Here's just a couple texts. Jeff, my wife and I were recently in Milwaukee shopping. Before leaving the car, we discussed what to do and where to meet if something happened. Like you said, five or 10 years ago, we would have never had that discussion. Jeff, I work for a courier service in Milwaukee. Whenever I'm given runs to do in the city, I do whatever I can to refuse those runs. And a typical eight-hour day, I would rather drive 500 miles or more and work 10 to 12 hours to avoid avoid the the city. Jeff, this absolutely, that is concerned about crime, absolutely affects where I go and where I spend my money. Individually, the $1,000 or more I probably spent in Milwaukee in the past was not much, but cumulatively, with me and my friends that no longer patronize some areas because of crime, it probably adds up to a lot of money. Jeff, I live in the small town of Keele. We stopped going down to the zoo. We go to the new zoo in Green Bay instead. Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's it. And that's the factor that's, you know, going on that people are, people are voting again with, with their pocketbooks in making these decisions. And, and maybe, maybe it's kind of like, it's it's kind of like like the pollsters that they didn't realize how many people actually supported Donald Trump because they didn't want to be honest with you. I mean, maybe we don't take polls about how big is the concern of crime or does crime affect the choices you make because people they, they don't want to answer that honestly because it's afraid that they they're afraid that they <clears throat> they they sound wimpy or or anti-urban or or whatever. But the truth of the matter is it is a factor that a lot of people are considering. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, and I'm, I'm hearing again from some of our listeners who who don't have the choice, who don't live in the suburbs. They're, they're the ones that, that live in some of those zip code areas that, that have these high crime rates, and, and they can't get out. They don't have that option. It is not available to them for whatever reason. And they talk about, like, being prisoners in their own home. And it's, you know, it, for some people, it, it's a choice. You know, am I going to go to this particular place or am I going to go somewhere else? For other people, there, there's no choice. It's, hey, this is, I, I, I got to put my car on the street in front of my house, and then I got to hope that it's there the when I when I come out to it the next morning because I I don't have any of those different options that are there and I have no choice but to go to this grocery store or that grocery store or I, I don't have the luxury of being able to I, I want to go out to eat I don't have the luxury of being able to drive to this nice restaurant that I know that's in Waukesha County or or, or wherever you know your your life is that that immediate area that neighborhood around where you live and I, I think we are betraying a lot of those people when we do not get a handle on on crime. And I, I understand we, we have a new mayor you know, you know, sworn in today. I think that's absolutely great. But 
you know, th- this is the number one priority. It's the number one issue. And I don't know that there's a consensus as to how to deal with it, because I, I think a lot of the elected officials continue to want to pretend that there's no sorts of problem here and continue to believe that midnight basketball is the way to handle this. And the last thing we need to do is be aggressive about people that are stealing cars because, well, we don't want them to have a record that follows them for the rest of their life, to which I say that that's fine, but it's out of control now. It's affecting population. It's affecting business. It's affecting things on so many different levels. You, You keep sticking your head in the sand. The problem is not going to go away. 2022 has been a, a, a tough year on, on celebrities passing away. The, the news yesterday was that Gilbert Gottfried, who was a comedian that was on Saturday Night Live, and, and even if you don't know the name, if you saw his picture, you, you'd know who he was in a very, very distinctive voice. He, um, he was the Aflac duck for a while until they fired him because of a tweet that he had. Um, he passed away at the age of 67. Melissa Barkley, were you a Gilbert Gottfried fan? I, I, to be honest with you, no. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't. He was very odd. He, I mean, I guess he was funny in the fact that you know he was on SNL. He was a very well recognized character, right? Um, but I can't say that I was a huge fan. Well, I, I, as a general rule, wasn't either. But, but just like Bob Saget, who, who, you know, people, people knew him from like the TV show and stuff like that. If you ever saw his act. It was hysterically funny, and it was as dirty as you could possibly imagine. I mean, it was just—it was a complete con- It was just—it yeah. was incredibly. Gilbert Gottfried was the same way. I saw him in Las Vegas once. It was <laughs> one, and, and he made his mark yeah, on Saturday Night Live and stuff. But he was like he'd do children's films and yeah. stuff. Wasn't he the voice of Aladdin? It was his show. It was fun. It was filthy. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, absolutely filthy. There, the L.A. Times has a piece about this. He did this thing. Um, about eight years ago, it was a roast of Roseanne Barr, and in 2012, it's 10 years ago, for her 60th birthday, and it's apparently it's up on YouTube. It, it's if you get a chance to see it, it's hysterical, but it's it is it is one of the most incredibly dirty, filthy routines that I have ever seen. I mean, he's a flamethrower. Just it's this flamethrower that's. You know, you see the the real act. Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh no, no, not 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 Curtis. Um, uh, oh, uh, Carrie, um, the one in Star Wars, Carrie uh, Fisher. Oh, Carrie Fisher. Carrie yeah, Fisher yeah. was was apparently one of the roasts. He went after her in in just the most unpc fashion at all, and the most incredibly dirty thing. But it's, I mean, you feel guilty laughing, but it's funny as, as heck. Well, so. it's, it's kind of the juxtaposition between Bob Saget and Gilbert Godfrey. Like, they don't look like, or some of their their characters they've played in TV, <clears throat> excuse right. me, TV shows, have been just the opposite of what their act is. It, so it's it's very interesting. A- absolutely. So if you, if, you, if you get a chance to, like, you go on YouTube and check out him at the Roseanne Bar roast in, in Hollywood in like 2012, believe me, it's not PG-13. It's X-rated, but it's funny (laughs) as heck. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Melissa Barkley, one one final thing. We're talking about the passing of Gilbert Gottfried. And I I, I was saying that if, if you see... If you, if you see him in person, I mean, he, he worked really, really blue. I mean, it was, but you know, it, it's sort of funny. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out if this is kind of a generational thing. Um, I, I am not a prude. I, 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 worked, I, I worked with DEA agents and cops. I've heard all the words and I've heard them in combinations that, you know, I, I never thought would exist. So, I mean, it, it's, I, I, I get it. 
but I will tell you, there, to me, there's a difference between being dirty and funny and, and just being dirty. I, I you know, we were um, last time I was in Las Vegas. I was with um, uh, we, we, Fran and I went out with my sister-in-law and brother-in-law Ruth and Ken, and they wanted to go. We went to um, a comedy club, Brad Garrett's Comedy Club. It's at the MGM, and there were you know a handful of performers, and I, I remember being incredibly disappointed because. Everyone was dirty, but they weren't funny. I, I, every, I swear, I don't think any of these comedians could complete two sentences without throwing in like the f word. Sure, and stuff. like an f bomb. And, and it's not, and it's not like I mean, I've heard the word and all, and I mean, I understand that, but it wasn't. There wasn't a point to it. It was just like you, you can't have a conversation, you can't tell a joke without throwing that word in there, and, and other words as well. I, I, I kind of walked out just thinking, you know, that this, mm-hmm. it's not for me, and it's not because I, oh, I'm just so offended by this. It's just it wasn't funny. It was it's just old. Dirt. It was well, just dirty. Well, yeah. and I think also with comedians, I think that the real challenge is being funny and maybe not being dirty. I think it's hard to be funny without having that as kind of a crutch. Right. Right? So well, crutch I, is exactly what mm-hmm. it was. It was like, okay, that word is like in every sentence. And, <laughs> and, I, and I was looking around, and the crowd was people my age, maybe some people older, but maybe some people it, – it wasn't, it wasn't a, a young crowd, not people in their 20s, but people in their you know, 40s and 50s and 60s and maybe older. And, and in general, I mean, there was like polite applause, but none of it was fun. I think it just – you got to go, okay, really? Can't you tell a story? Can't you be clever or funny or witty? Do you have to have that word all the time? Well, and I'm guessing comedians, when you're up on stage, you know when you're not hitting a note with the crowd, right? You, right. you know that you need to change whatever you're doing, your shtick, right. uh, if it's not hitting hitting home runs all the time. So, right. yeah. yeah. So, okay. So it's not just generational. You get bored. No, it wears I do. You down I mean, I think too. it does yeah. get bored. Yeah. You know, I think being funny is it's hard. It's a hard job. Oh, absolutely. Um, writing all that stuff. And, and maybe you think it's funny at the time and it doesn't hit the crowd at the at the right time either yeah and, and again and i'm not saying you can't do adult humor mm-hmm. because i mean you, you want that, that that's not the issue it's just can you do adult humor and be funny without having again to use that that kind of language it's still i think there's a lot of people that that are offended if not offended by it it just and i don't know i'm not saying i'm necessarily offended by it it just it just gets old after a while it's kind of come on man. it's just not funny yeah. it's just it's not, not funny. funny yeah okay hey th- speaking of uh, this isn't funny this is really very cool we were talking about our, our opening day broadcast tomorrow and like i said steve scafidi is going to be out there from nine until noon and then i take over and this is it has been one of the great pleasures of, of the years of working here is that I, I I get to do the opening day show because years and years ago, here's here's like some inside baseball story. When when Charlie Sykes used to work here, he didn't like being out there at all. He, he had he 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 just didn't like it. So he used to always take off that day. So I, I'd come in and I'd do that that shift. And so this has kind of been a, a pattern. I um, Mark Atanasio and Bob Euchre, you know, they we we've been doing this thing for years and years and years. So I have the schedule for the Wagner show tomorrow. Now, this is subject to change, you know, because sometimes, you know, things happen and stuff. But here here are some of the people that between noon and three, I will be talking to. And again, not from the perspective of a sports writer saying, hey, how exactly did you throw that, that two-seam fastball? But rather from a fan. We're going to be talking to Craig Council, the manager, Colton Wong, the second baseman. Colton Wong, 
I, I was so glad when the Brewers signed him last year because I remember when he played for St. Louis, he just used to wear us out. Pretty much the same as Andrew McCutcheon when he played for Pittsburgh. would just wear us out. So Craig Council, Colton Wong, the general manager, David Stearns. And we've had some fun conversations over the years because I— I've asked him about some of the hits he's had with, like, signings, and then I've kind of teased him on some of the misses. Why did you think exactly that that was going to be a good thing? Uh, Tim Dillard, the the broadcaster, he's going to be with us. Aaron Ashby, who's the new Brewers pitcher, he's um, one of the swing guys, but I, I think this guy's going to be—he's going to be a star. Rowdy Telez is going to be with us, and, of course, Mark Atanasio and Bob Euchre. Those are our scheduled guests, but you never know who might otherwise pop in. So make—I mean, opening day, like I say, it's a— it's not a national holiday, but I think it's certainly a statewide holiday. And make sure um, you, as the time leads up to the first pitch, we would love to have you share it with us. All that coming from American Family Field tomorrow. Like I say, Steve Scafidi will be out there starting at 9, and my show starts at noon. When we come back, they have no idea how much it's going to cost. Isn't that interesting? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Let's talk about the real world for a moment. When when you are looking at something that you think would be nice or that you'd like, for most of us, there, there's one question. Once you get past the, gee, that sounds really nice, or I would like that. Boy, that it would it would be great to have that jacket. It would be great to have that purse. It would be great to buy that dress. I would love to have that car. I'd love this. I'd love that. There, there's Okay, so once you get past the fact that this is really good, I, I'd like it. Sounds like a good thing. There, there's a question that immediately in the real world pops to all of our minds, and that is, what does it cost, right? Because maybe, you know, you, you, you've always wanted that Ferrari. You've always wanted that Jaguar. But the question is, okay, what, what is it? What does it cost? Can I afford it? Would it be great? Would I look great driving that Jaguar? Would that would that jacket look really good on me? Oh yeah, you, you ask that, but then you ask, what does it cost? And then you then make the decision. Well, gee, I'd really like it, but I, I don't like it that well. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm right. That that's how that's how it works in the real world. You decide if something's good. And would be nice. And then you figure, what does it cost? Well, it's interesting because when it comes to government, they don't follow that same process. They follow the process where it says, hey, this would be a good thing. But then nobody even tries to ask the question of what does it cost, which brings me to something that the financially destitute Milwaukee County did just yesterday. If you haven't seen this, uh, the county executive signed legislation which created a paid parental leave policy for county employees after a birth or an uh, adoption. This this policy, so here's what it says. You get eight weeks paid leave annually to county employees working at least 20 hours per week for the birth of a child or for families that have taken a child through adoption, fostering guardianship, guardianship or acting as, as a parent. So eight weeks paid family leave. You don't have to use your vacation. 
You don't have to worry about uh, the Family and Medical Leave Act, which is unpaid. It's, it's eight weeks, and it's annual. So if you're a young county employee and you or your, you know, let's say you're, and I think it also includes paternity leave as well as maternity leave. So if you're, you're starting a family and you have three children in the space of five years, you're going to get eight weeks a year in addition to your vacation and things like that. Now, one of the questions, because I've, I've been following this, because the city of Milwaukee did it not long ago, and the city of Milwaukee, they, they, they only did six weeks. The, the Milwaukee County did, did eight weeks. And in all the different stories that I've been reading about this and following it, the, the question in the back of my mind was, oh, I, I mean, I understand it. it, it, it it's, it's great. You know, it's a great benefit for employees. But my question was always been, I'm, what is it going to cost? How, how much does it cost to give this benefit in addition to all the other benefits that you give county employees? And the answer is they don't know. <laughs> I'm reading this story about it, and, I mean, what what they're saying is that, well, you know, we don't know what this is going to cost because over time what will, might be needed, you know, if somebody leaves their position for, for eight weeks, somebody else is going to have to do that job. So over time, you know, we might have to pay other people overtime because, um, you know, uh, Louise is taking her eight weeks off for the paid maternity leave in addition to vacation, everything else she gets. So we're going to have to, you know, fill in. We're going to have to hire other people. We're going to have to bring in other people to do Louise's job while she's gone. So we're going to have to pay overtime to other people. But but they didn't even try to quantify this. They just said, well, it, it's impossible. We, we don't know. We have no idea how many people are going to take advantage of this. We have no idea how, you know, how long that they, they might be gone. You know, we don't know if their jobs are going to be, they can just simply sit vacant for, for eight weeks. We don't know any of that. So we, we have no idea as to how much this is going to cost. All right. Um, the people pushing this say it's an investment. That's the term that gets used in the county's 4,000-plus workers. I'm reading the story. It's a win for parents who can cherish the early days of their children's lives and take some time to prepare for returning to work. It's a win for kids who benefit developmentally from the parents being home. And, of course, it's a win for the county because we can count on happier and healthier employees. Uh, all right. The question, though, is, is it a win for the people that are paying the freight, that is, the taxpayers of the county? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I understand. You can say paid parental leave is is a, is a great thing. It's a great benefit. Typically, in the private sector, you do this because— you need to be competitive, and you offer this benefit because otherwise we're going to have trouble getting employees. I, I'm not sure that that's really the case county. I don't know that you need to offer that in order to retain benefits uh, and to retain people. But I guess my question is, even though it sounds nice, how in God's green earth can you how can you just implement stuff and give away benefits without having any idea as to what the cost is going to be. Now, it may very well be, there's 4,000 Milwaukee employee, County employees, it may very well be that in any given year you have, I don't know, two or, or three that, that take paid parental leave. Okay, in which case that the costs are probably going to be minimal. But what if it's 
50? Or what if it's 100? Or what if it's 200? At some point in time, don't you have to start talking about real money? And don't you at least have to have any sense at all as to what it's going to cost before you do stuff? Or because you're government and you're not spending your own money, I guarantee you, I guarantee you for anybody who runs a business and is having the conversation about uh, human resources and benefits, and if somebody says, hey, boss, I think it would be really great if we could give our employees eight weeks a year of paid parental leave with no limits on how often you can take it. I think that would be great. We'd have happier employees, and it would be good for their families. And and I guarantee you, if you said that, what's the first question the boss asks? The boss is going to say, that that's wonderful. My question is, what is it going to cost us? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Look, and we're getting a number of tweet, uh, a number of texts on this. I, I, I really take no position on whether do, do you do you have to give employees paid parental leave eight weeks or not. But what I think is so stunning, and this just demonstrates how dysfunctional Milwaukee County is. They, they've just they've embraced this. We're going to give all of our employees eight weeks of paid parental leave, and. But with with no idea, and they admit, we have no idea of what this is going to cost. We have no idea of how many people are going to take advantage of this. Who, what, what business would run this way? I mean, at, at your business, if somebody suggested, here, let's do this, the first question you ask is, what is it going to cost? And it, it, might, it might be negligible. I, I don't know. Maybe you're only going to have one person that's going to want eight weeks off in a given year, and then you're going to have to cover for his or her departure because of, you know, overtime with other people. But, but what if it's 50? What if it's 100? Don't you at least have to have some clue as to what it's going to cost? Jeff, Milwaukee County employees also get several more paid holidays each year than any other employer around here, including other governmental units. So I'm not surprised that they've, you know, done that. Um, Yeah. Jeff, people who think eight weeks of parental leave is a wonderful idea have no common sense. Oh, sure. In the short term, it sounds amazing. But when you figure in what it costs the employer, then prices rise on all products and services. In the end, we all pay the unbelievable price for this benefit. And again, keep in mind, it's in addition to all the other vacation time you get, and at least the way I understand it, there's no limit on this. I mean, you you can, all right, I, I want my eight weeks this year. Okay, next year or the year after that, I want my eight weeks. I want another eight weeks. Um, there, there's just no question uh, about this, and there's no idea as to how much it's cost. Jeff, they're able to do this because people are not paying attention to how much money is being spent right now. Well, here's the problem. People never paid attention to how much money was spent in Milwaukee County, and it's why the finances have been for the last 20 years, going back to the pension scandal, such a complete and total disaster. And I guess the question becomes, will the last person to leave Milwaukee County please be sure to turn out the lights? This is an issue that I know you might disagree with me on, but the more I think about it, the more I, I just don't see this as the hill that, that people need need to fight and die on. And, and I guess it, it's only because I, I try to live in this real world 
and, and figure out, you know, what's what's happening. And I just I guess I don't think this is as big an issue as many people are making it out to be. Today in the Wisconsin Supreme Court, there there was an argument this morning about um, absentee drop boxes. Right now, this is generates a, a huge amount of controversy because uh, state law is a mess on this whole thing. It, you know, typically what happens is to to vote, you you show up in person on election day and you f- fill out your ballot and you submit it, you stick it through the machine. Okay? That's it. Another way that people have to vote is to go in and I I do this a lot. I, you know, I'll go in during that early voting period and you go in, you prove who you are, show your photo ID, you get the ballot, you fill out the ballot, you then put it in an envelope, you seal the envelope, you give it to the the clerk, you give it to the person that's manning the polls, and they put it in with the other absentee ballots, and it gets opened on election day. So you've handed that in person. Another way that people have to vote is to request an absentee ballot. And I've told this story before. The first time I voted for president, I was out of state. I'm a Wisconsin resident, lived you know where where I was in college. So I, but I wasn't a resident of that state. I requested in the mail the absentee ballot. I don't think you had to show. You didn't have to show photo ID back then. They sent me the absentee ballot. I filled it out, put a stamp on it, and sent it back in. It's the first time I, I voted. I think that I don't think I've ever voted. You know, absentee by mail, but I put it in the mail and sent it back in. So those are the ways that you do it. So there's been this other way that has developed. And it really took off with, with COVID. But a number of clerk's offices across the state, in an effort to make the ballot collection easier, they started with absentee drop boxes, kind of like a mailbox, but not a mailbox. So outside of City Hall, they would have a, a box, you know, like think mailbox, but they looked a little bit differently. Or there, there'd be a, a chute that you could, you know, put the ballot in. So instead of putting a stamp on your absentee ballot, you've requested the, the ballot, you've done everything you have to do to, you know, legally vote, you've submitted your ID, all that stuff. They've sent you the ballot in the mail. So you've got the ballot. So instead of instead of putting it in the envelope, sealing it, and then putting a stamp on it and dropping it in a U.S. mailbox in a number of different jurisdictions, primarily Democrat ones, but that, that, that does that make any difference? The, the clerks would set up drop boxes. So instead of going to the mailbox, putting the ballot in the mail, having the mail man or mail woman pick it up, process it, take it to the post office, process it, and then have it you know delivered via U.S. mail to the clerk's office, you could go directly to City Hall. And you could take that that ballot, and you could put it in the box, right? Though those are the absentee ballot drop boxes. State law is a mess as to whether this is allowed or not, and I'm going to be the first to tell you that the law is is very very unclear as to whether you can do that or not. Candidly, my guess is if you read the letter of the law, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. Candidly, if you read the letter of the law, I don't think you can use drop boxes. That, that's, that's my general sense if you just read the letter of the law. And that's what the state Supreme Court is going to be deciding. And, and today's oral argument, apparently 
you, you want to talk about getting in the weeds, the different justices were, were all over with like different different interpretations and different impressions. If if I drive my my mom passed away a number of years ago, but you you drive your, your aunt, you drive your you drive your your mom to the polling place to, to where you absentee the drop box and instead of her getting out of the car, she gives you the ballot and you go and you put it in to the, the drop box. Is that a violation of state law? Same thing. Okay, mailbox. You know, you're other you're not supposed to mail stuff these ballots for other people. So if you go over to, I don't know, your mom and dad's house and those ballots are cleared out and they say, hey, Jeff, would, would, you, mail, would you mail the stuff for us? Our ballots are there and then there's the utility bills and stuff and you take those ballots and you take them to the mailbox. You might be violating the law. It's it just, it, it's, it's a mess. All right. It's, and so the Supreme Court's going to have to like sort this out because the legislature hadn't. But I want to talk about the, the bigger picture. Whatever the law says, I want to discuss what the law should be. And again, I understand you might disagree with me on this. Do you have a problem with absentee drop boxes? I mean, and I guess I keep coming back to this notion that if it's okay to mail the ballot, why isn't it okay? to drop the ballot in, in the drop box. Now, I, maybe you have to obviously have some limits on this. I'm not saying that you have them be completely and totally unsupervised, but the check and balance is going to be that that, that ballot has to be appropriately filled out. It has to have been obtained by presenting the photo ID or, or whatever. I mean, isn't this something, especially in 2022, that, does it make any sense at all not to make it as convenient as possible for people to return ballots. And by having an absentee drop box, does that really substantially increase the, the amount of, of fraud? And I guess my answer is I don't see how it, it, it does that. Uh, um, yes, it is entirely possible that you might have somebody that says, here, I'm going to drop off the ballots for you. Here, here, Gladys, you give me yours. Jeff, you give me yours. And, and yeah, I'm going past the, the drop box. I, I will deliver them. But does that really, does that make fraud more likely? 855-616-1620. And again, this conversation is different from, you know, what Wisconsin law actually says. The court's going to decide that. But I want to talk about isn't this just a reasonable convenience? And if you can put a ballot with a stamp on it in the mail, why can't you put that same ballot and put it in a secure drop box? We discuss in a minute. Jay. I, I guess apart from whether Wisconsin law allows drop boxes or not, which is a whole different question, why not? I, I mean, don't we want to make it as easy as possible to return ballots? And I guess I can't get past this notion that if we all agree you can you can mail the ballot. You can take that ballot and you can go to the mailbox and you can drop it off. And I said put a stamp on it. Actually, I don't even think you need to have a stamp on it. I, I think if it's an absentee ballot. But if you can put it in a mailbox, why or, or somebody on your for on your behalf can put it in a mailbox, why why shouldn't they be able to put it in a, in a drop box outside of City Hall, which actually has more chance of getting collected and counted because with all due respect to my friends who work for the Postal Service, stuff does get lost from time to time. I guess I, I and, and like one of our texters says, Jeff, I disagree with you. It creates more opportunity for malfeasance, to which I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand what's what's the malfeasance as, as long as, as you always have the option of, of mailing this. To me, this 
just makes it easier for people to return their ballots. And and again, there's no evidence that in places that have used these drop boxes, there's been any sort of huge amount of fraud. You know, one of our texters says, well, Jeff, I, you know, what about what about what happens if, you know, somebody's father get, gets a ballot and then the father dies and then the kid fills out the ballot and, and submits it? Oh, OK, well, then then they're committing voter fraud. Right. I, I understand that. But it doesn't it's not the drop box that, that's doing it. The voter fraud is the ballot. If somebody wanted to do that, well, then then they're just going to put it in the U.S. mail. So th- it's not the Dropbox that's creating the fraud. Ed, Ed, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. I think you're right that there's really no malfeasance in this, and people that are worried about that are, are barking up the wrong tree and wasting everyone's time and effort. When a, a uh, absentee ballot or remote ballot of any kind is, is asked for, the clerk send it out with a barcode on it. When that ballot's returned, however it's returned, in person, mailed in, Dropbox, however you got it, they match up those barcodes. And if somebody's doing something that's nefarious, they will catch it. There will be duplicate ballots. There will be more ballots for that barcode than were sent out. And it's awfully darn difficult to forge a, ba- a barcode. If I might, just one more comment. Sure. The state of Oregon has had mail-in voting for many, many years, more than 20. And I heard an excellent uh, interview with the Republican Secretary of State who's in charge of their balloting process. And it was very enlightening about the efforts and the things they do to avoid these kinds of tampering. And I thought it was very, very compelling hearing her actually talk about that. Yeah, I guess. Yes, she'd be a great guest. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. And thanks. I mean, again, I, I just... I, you know, I, we, we throw these, these concepts of fraud around, and, and I really... I, I think people need to to move past the idea of fraud, like an election being stolen, because there's absolutely no evidence of that. Now, again, you can argue, I think, legitimately, does the state law allow the use of drop boxes or not? And and but but to me, the the more fundamental question is: as long as we are going to allow absentee ballots to be returned, and by the way, I believe that there are some people who just don't think you should be able to, you should only be able to vote in person. To which I would say. Well, absentee ballots have been around forever. Like I say, my my first the first time I voted for for president, I you know I I got the ballot in the mail and I, I sent it back in. So it's is it more prevalent now? Definitely. And but that that's I think a reflection on modern times and people you know um, wanting more convenience. Okay, let's talk to Andrew in Waukesha. Go ahead, Andrew. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So the. It shouldn't even be a question as to whether or not this increases the risk of fraud, because True the Vote just showed in Madison that it has indeed increased the incidence of fraud. Ballot harvesting is also against the law, and drop boxes encourage ballot harvesting that's been proven. You know, Nancy Pelosi has been allowing proxy voting ever since COVID started. There's a reason why we have rules in a democracy, and our vote, our voting process needs to follow certain rules. Well, tell me why. And again, put, let's let's put us let's move past the the question of 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 whether or not something is permitted or not. What what is the what is the fraud? Why does it increase fraud if I can return a ballot in a mailbox? Why does putting it in the the absentee ballot box? Why does that make it more likely for fraud? 
you know, Jeff, I don't know why people break the law and what their rationale is. Two wrongs don't make a right. And again, it was proven that drop boxes increased the amount of ballot harvesting in Wisconsin. True the vote showed it with the geolocation data. It's open. It's an open record. So it's not even a question. Well, it I mean, Andrew, it, it, it is. I mean, th- thanks. I mean, th- OK, well, I, it, it is kind of a question. The, the, the true the vote thing says that we if, if it's I'm thinking of what you're referring to. It's like, well, we have cell phone data that people, you know, walked by these these uh, drop boxes on multiple occasions during a day, and so then we assume that that's fraud. But again, I I don't... We we throw ballot harvesting, and ballot harvesting is... I'm returning mom's ballot. <laughs> that, that's that's what it is. And I understand that they're, they're, the allegations are that here we, we have people that go out and you find, you know, 15 people that voted and we're going to collect it. And I'm going to return those ballots for you. I, I guess, again, I keep coming back to the idea that apart from whether it's legal or, or not, and that's something that the court has to decide, and I think it's pretty clear that within certain limits it's not, but wh- why is that necessarily a problem? I mean, if I... If if you have a bunch of people that have voted absentee, and I and and mom and dad and my brother all have those absentee ballots that are sitting out there, is it really is it really fraud if I say, hey, I'm going to get these three, I'm going past the mailbox or I'm going past city hall, I will drop these off for you? I mean, isn't the underlying question an issue of fraud? Not do we make it more easier to return more easy to return legitimate ballots? Isn't it? Are, are these ballots illegitimate? Are they being cast by people who don't have the right to vote? Are they being cast by people who have been had undue influence exerted on them? Isn't that the fundamental question as opposed to being concerned with how those ballots are apps actually returned? To me, the question is, are they legitimate ballots or not? If they're not legitimate ballots, clearly it's fraud and people deserve to be prosecuted. But that's just me. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind. Stick around.